Hello and welcome to Tops 10, brought to you by KTXT Radio and the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University in beautiful Lubbock. Tops 10 seeks out successful and influential people in politics and government, the many professions, the physical and social sciences, or the arts and humanities, and asks them to reveal their lives, ideas, and ideals through their playlist. Our format is simple. We ask our guests what pieces of music mean the most to them to tell us the story behind the infatuation. Mr. Derek Ginter is our producer-engineer, and I'm David Perlmutter, a professor at and dean of the college and the host of Tops 10. Today I have with me Mr. David R. Syme. David serves as market chairman of Happy State Bank in Lubbock. Syme has been active in several professional banking organizations as well as banking education, chairman of the Independent Bankers Association of Texas, served as director of the Independent Community Bankers Association of America, and also served on the board of the Independent Bankers Bank in Dallas, was chosen to serve as chairman of the board in 1995. Additionally, Syme served on the board of the Southwestern Graduate School of Banking at Southern Methodist University, where he served as dean for bankers and as chairman. So you're a banker. Is that correct? <laughs> I guess that would be the case. Did, were you were you born a banker? Were you like? Did you like have a piggy bank or you know? Did, was there any early signs like my son is going to be a banker? Not really. My dad was a butcher. My mom sewed clothes for a living, and I do remember uh, my dad even being a butcher though. And he had to go to the bank. He'd put a coat and tie and a hat on and look uh, very professional going into the bank and so forth. But uh, it just uh, evolved over the years, and I love the business. Did they have a sense, though, of saving and money and sort of understanding the value of things? I had to. Again, never made a lot of money, obviously. Dad uh, came from uh, a family of German immigrants. Uh, His uh, parents uh, never spoke English. They came to the United States in the late 1890s. It's a strong work ethic. Part of that is you don't make a lot of money, and what you make, you better take care of it. And uh, they did. Now, when you were growing up, was there music in your home? Radio? Did they play? Anybody play the piano or no, sing? No, didn't have any musicians, but they loved they loved music, and we would hear record player, the old seventy eights, or I, I think it was seventy eights back then. Those big records, and uh, so yeah, mom and dad enjoyed music, and uh, so we were around it quite a bit. Was it American music or was there some German mm-hmm. German music? No, there wasn't any German. Dad kind of gravitated after he and my mom married away from the German heritage and actually later years of his life had uh, lost a lot of his, uh, he could understand German but he didn't speak it anymore and over a period of time he kind of lost it. I love to tell the story. My mom was very strong-willed and, and she was 16, I believe, when they married. And part of the German heritage was that uh, when the whole family would get together for lunch on Sunday, this was the order of how people would eat. It would be all the men would eat first, and then the children would eat. And if there was then anything left, the women would eat. That's just the way things were done. Well, my mom went through that one time, and she told my dad, she said, that's never going to happen again. So the next time they had a big family gathering, mom was sitting with the men. (laughs) And it just, that tradition went away after that. And uh, so uh, anyway. uh, She was a groundbreaker. That's right. Absolutely. There's actually uh, a friend of mine who's uh, a banker in Corpus Christi called me a few years ago, and he has a branch uh, of his bank down in Orange Grove. And he called me one day and he said, David, I was just driving through town and stopped at a stop sign and looked up and the uh, the street uh, that was uh, going across was uh, Syme Street. <laughs> so we got an interesting <laughs> Syme Street in Corpus Christi. I'm sure that's the only place. That... Memories there. Yeah. Now, one of your songs, I'll start a little bit of out of order here because we're talking mm-hmm. about is that's You're right. from Texas. Mm-hmm. So you're from Texas. I mean, y- y- you consider yourself a, a, a lifelong Texan. Absolutely. Card-carrying Texan. Yeah, you know, I was born and raised in Corpus Christi. And uh, on my mother's side of the family, uh, they came to Texas back in the 1830s. Actually, uh, I believe a great, 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 great uncle, whatever, actually served so they were, in the Alamo. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, yeah. that, was there an Alamo connection? There? Yeah. yeah. And uh, he, so he, died, his name you, was, he died at the Alamo. No, actually, okay. if, if 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 you remember the the movie, and it's been a while since I've seen it, there yeah. was a group that left to go get help. Yeah, and they go to Sam Houston, and, and, and they they tried, to, and they came back, but they but when they got back, the it was falling. Yeah, and so it, he was in that group of six or seven, but 
as many of the listeners I'm sure have been to the Alamo and toured it, and they typically rotate portraits and artifacts so forth. They're at the Alamo Museum, and I have been in there when that great, 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 great uncle, Captain John Highsmith's uh, portrait is hanging in there. So again, mother's side of the family came uh, uh, to Texas early, and then uh, my grandparents on my father's side, uh, actually it was uh, kind of interesting in that, again, I'm getting back to my dad's side of the family. When they came over, my, my grandfather was married and had four children. He came over first to get settled and then sent for his wife and children. And um, again, they came in through the port of Galveston. When he sent for his wife and children on the way over, she got sick and died. So there he was, he was there to greet his four children. Well, he couldn't take care of all four children. There were a couple of really small ones. I, I don't know what their age is, but they were, one was a baby and whatever. And since he couldn't take care of them, he put them up for adoption. And then about a year later, Mary met my grandmother, who had just immigrated from Germany, and they got married and then had 15 children. But back in that time, I mean, for us these days to think of someone, a family with that many children, but more children meant more money because you had more workers, more people to go tend the farm and so on and so forth. So, but the other interesting thing, again, I'm sorry to just keep rambling here about my grandfather, but I may have mentioned he didn't speak English and never did. Um, when I was a child, the only... But there were many communities in the United States, whether it was Hispanic or Polish or, or mm-hmm. German, especially German. German, I believe, second to English or maybe Irish is the... Or it may be tied for like large... Before the, the big Hispanic growth in the last 30 years was, was the... German descent was like number one or two of of most Americans, and mm-hmm. and they were, I certainly know from the Pennsylvania area they were they still are very mm-hmm. big communities where I mean I think they can speak English but within the community they never speak English. That's interesting. I, I don't know if that's still the case. I haven't been down in that uh, part of Texas in several years, uh, but I do know down around New Braunfels and Fredericksburg. Those were originally German communities, and uh, up until several, uh, I know, probably 15, 20 years ago, you still had families that uh, that was their primary language. Both my grandparents uh, lived to be almost 100. They were both 99 when they passed away, so I'm proud of that heritage and the good hard work. Well, that's what the song's about, come in beyond palace. Pardon me, stranger, I hope there's no danger You'll think I'm getting off of my range Well, how but I calculate That you're from my state And though you may think it's strange I allow it how you're from Texas Right about the lingo I understand uh-huh. I'll bet my kill if you hail from Texas Cause there's no mistake in the brand You've got a smile like an acre of sunflowers And your eyes are a blue bonnet blue Shake hands with grandeur from Texas Cause I'm from Texas too Your next song is Amazing Grace, which has uh, graced uh, this show before. It's it's often cited as probably one of the most popular mm-hmm. uh, religious songs of all time. Mm-hmm. Was there a particular church that you grew up in? Yes. My dad was a Lutheran when he and my mom married and uh, eventually gravitated to the Baptist church. And again, the, the Lutheran church is the, was the primary church, I think, for the people from Germany. But when I came along and we were mem- members of the First Baptist Church there in Corpus Christi, and that's where I grew up in the church and was baptized and so forth. But I, I do remember, um, and I still have a couple of pictures of, of our family. Uh, my brother was quite a bit older and he had moved on when I was a small child and, and in the military and so forth. And uh, But I have photographs of my older sister and me and my mom and dad out you know, in front of the church, and we all got my dad. You know, they're dressed to the nines. Dad got a coat and tie and a hat on, and and I've got you know I'm dressed up as a little kid, probably five six years old, and I mean that's just the way things were done. Amen. 
ask you about the culture where you're growing up. Northern Europeans, I, I, I spent some time in Minnesota, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up in a lot of Pennsylvania where there were a lot of Pennsylvania Dutch, Deutsch, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the Amish and or German descent. Reserved culture. Mm-hmm. Not, you're not supposed to show your emotions mm-hmm. uh, that readily. Was that the sort of the character of your, your family? It's certainly not my father. He was a very emotional man. And, and I've carried that on. I'm tend to be an emotional guy as well. And, uh, but yeah, I still remember, remember my father. I'd been gone for a while. It, I remember professionally I'd moved to Amarillo. Uh, Mom and Dad, we, we moved to Lubbock in 1957 when I was 12 years old. We moved here primarily because as a child I had asthma. And back then the doctor said he needs to be in a drier climate. It'll help. Do they mention over. the wind part? The, the <laughs> no, just the dry part. Okay. I'm not yeah. sure asthma is the best uh, but, uh, solution here. Yeah. Anyway, at least that's what I was told. Professionally, I had taken an opportunity with a bank in Amarillo in the late 70s and was gone about two and a half years and moved back. Paula and I had three children by that time. And, and I'll never forget, I came back with the bank here and I was having dinner, just me and my mom and dad. And that was the first dinner we'd had together since I'd moved two and a half years before. And my dad wanted to pray and he got real emotional, which it was pretty obvious that he was uh, very uh, sentimental about us being back in Lubbock and being close to them. And it was interesting that the way that worked out and that dad ended up passing away in less than a year. So I was always grateful that we were able to come back and I could spend that time with him the last few months of his life. So that was that was cool. But yes, he was a very emotional guy. Taking a turn, your next song, uh, Rocky Mountain High, John Denver, mm-hmm. of course, another extremely probably probably would be on my list too just mm-hmm. an absolutely beautiful song now how does a, a lubbock boy think of rocky mountain high well that song brings back a lot of memories and with a lot of these songs uh, a big part of why i like them is because of a connection to the songwriter or to the singer in this particular case as you know you know and i'm yeah. sure many of your listeners know, chancellor hans john, mentioned that when he came to visit us about john, john was at UT, right? Yeah, yeah. No, here at Tech. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah at Tech, his, yeah. His dad was a pilot in the Air Force, and he was, uh, John Duchendorf was going to school here. One of the things about that particular song, and I like all of John Denver's music, but that particular song, every time I hear it, I'm reminded of my two sons. My two sons, one of whom is uh, lives in northwest Colorado, in Craig, Colorado. He's 40 miles west of Steamboat Springs. He's with the Bureau of Land Management, and he has been an, uh, an outdoors guy ever since he got into scouting as a kid. And so he that's where he, he is at home in the mountains. My other son, Spencer, lives in Taos, New Mexico. And from his back porch, you have a great view of the Taos Ski Valley and the mountains. So every time I hear Rocky Mountain High, I think of my sons because of what it means to them. But circling back to John... Duchendorf. When I was in college, I was working part-time at J.C. Penney's, and Penney's was downtown Lubbock. 
at that time. And uh, the only night of the week it was open was on Thursday night. And the back in those days, you know, they were closed on Sundays, but only open one night a week. And uh, I was uh, working in the shoe department, which was in the basement of the uh, building. And the layaway department was adjacent to the shoe department. There was a young woman that was my age that I no- had known for years. She had uh, gone to... Lubbock High School. I was in Monterey, but we graduated the same year, and we were friends. And uh, it was a pretty quiet night this Thursday night, and I hear the phone ring back in the laid-away department, and Charlotte's on the phone for 30 minutes. And there were no customers, so it wasn't an issue. And when she got off the phone, she was very emotional, very emotional. And so I was concerned. I walked over, and, you know, uh, Charlotte, is everything okay? And she said, well, yeah, John just called and he is in Chicago and he asked me to join him and wants to get married. And I told him I didn't love him and that no, I was not gonna do it. Well, that John was John Duchendorf. And I've never forgotten that. And uh, it's, uh, I wonder if Charlotte ever, <laughs> I'm sure she did forget it either. <laughs> anyway, I, that's, again, I wonder that's if he ever, one of his songs is a, you know, yeah. code for, <laughs> you should have gone with me, you know. That's right. But I just, you know, I love John's music, and uh, it's great that he had the connection here at Tech. He was born in the summer of his 27th year, coming home to a place he'd never been before. He left yesterday behind him. You might say he was born again. You might say he found the When he first came to the mountains, his life was far away On the road, hanging by a song But the string's already broken, and he doesn't really care It keeps changing fast, and it don't last for long Your next song is Don't Laugh at Me, and, mm-hmm. and, and one of the great things about doing the show is I learned music that I'd never mm-hmm. heard before. I, Don't Laugh at Me. Mm-hmm. Now tell us about this song, the artist, and the origins of it for well, you. Well, the, the origin for me, I had heard this, this song, I uh, believe, was the number one hit back in the 90s, late 90s. But this song, along with a couple of other songs, I have become acquainted with the songwriter, and that's what... Uh, with again several of these songs uh, you know and that's a really neat opportunity when you get to know who the songwriter is and get to know them personally the songwriter of uh, Don't Laugh At Me was a guy by the name of Alan Shamblin and Alan's matter of fact two years ago three years ago was Country Music Songwriter of the Year I believe that particular song uh, was Song of the Year uh, in the year that it was published I believe that the original artist was Mark Willis was the singer but if any of the listeners haven't heard that song, it is an incredibly emotional song. It basically is is a song that talks about respect for others, regardless of their condition, whether it's someone on the street corner or it's a child who's got a defect. And it now the song is there's been a book published that is now being passed out in along with the song at a lot of elementary schools as they try to, to uh, uh, there's a very proactive program to try to uh, discourage bullying, and this song is right in the center of that. Alan is originally from Texas, and I've had a chance to be around Alan. I was really blessed, and we can talk about that a little later, to, to have a chance to be around a lot of these songwriters and get to know them over the years through a friend of mine in Austin. And... Uh, Alan Shamlin's one of them. He's written some great songs, but this is my favorite that he's written. I'm a little boy with glasses, the one they call a geek. A little girl who never smiles, cause I've got braces on my teeth. And I know how it feels to 
cry myself to sleep. I'm that kid on every playground who's always chosen last. A single teenage mother trying to overcome my past. You don't have to be my friend. Is it too much to ask? Don't laugh at me. Don't call me names. Don't get your pleasure from my pain. In God's eyes, we're all the same. Someday we'll all have perfect wings. Don't laugh at me. In your business in banking, and you've been in retail banking your whole career, or, or mm-hmm. bu- you, of course, obviously, you do a lot of different things, business mm-hmm. to business, and, and then how, how has the industry changed? First of all, Lubbock, for people who don't live in Lubbock, is a banking capital. How many banks do we have in, in, in Lubbock? I believe we have 26 charters. Maybe more now. I don't know. There's. It just seems like there's a there's a different bank on every every corner. Is there a particular reason why that's so? I mean, we're a financial center of. Well, it, it Lubbock's economy has always been uh, pretty stable with agriculture and with Texas Tech and. You pointed out to me once that in the the recession of 2008, mm-hmm. Lubbock pretty much weathered it without much ado. Right. That's true. Now I'm a. What I like to, what we refer to as a community banker. You've got the large money center banks, and then you've got independent community banks. I'm a community banker. And again, you've talked about my resume and talked about my involvement with our state bank association, our national bank association, and so forth. So I'm very passionate about community banking. And part of that passion is having been a community banker, is seeing the value that community banks bring to a community. One of the reasons in my opinion, that Lubbock's economy has done as well as it has, is that we have a lot of community banks. And my thought, uh, and I've shared this before. Now, can you explain to us the distinction between different kinds of banks? A community bank is a bank that reinvests in the local community. Yes, it takes deposits in the local community, and it loans money back in the local community. And um, and it invests. Its people are involved in volunteer organizations. Its people are involved in donating money to the community. The bank itself don't, donates money. We, if you go to a United Way campaign meeting, and you've got all these tables that are sponsored by all these banks around town, well, that's a good thing. That is a good yeah. thing. And the other thing is, and we're talking about loaning money back in the community, and I've asked Dr. Scott Hine, he and I have talked about this over in the, uh, Rawls College of Business, I'd love to see a study done that how many jobs are created and or sustained for every $100 million that a community bank loans in a, into a community. It would be phenomenal. Another way I like to put it is with all due respect to the large money center banks, and I'm sure people don't, they don't think in these terms. Obviously, this is my passion, and I think about it. But I would just say this. If Lubbock had only two banks, and it was Bank of America and Wells Fargo, we would not have the economy we have today. So even though it looks like we have more we probably do more banks than gas stations. From my perspective, that is a very, very good thing. Well, obviously, there's ac- economic activity to support that. They wouldn't be here just to, to lose money. That's, that's true. <laughs> in in yeah. a lot of the banks, what has happened, David, is that a lot of the banks that have moved into Lubbock have been in this in this area, in South Plains, Panhandle area, and maybe they've been in small towns, and they're wanting to grow. Well, the natural thing for them to do is to come to Lubbock, because that's the largest city in this region, and that's where they can grow their bank. And and And, Happy State Bank. By the way, when I first uh, started banking, you are my banker. Uh, When I first started banking with you, I, I, excuse me, I thought Happy State Bank was like a marketing slogan. Did, and, and then somebody pointed out, well, though, there's a Happy Texas, and yeah. that's where the bank started. It, that's right. exactly right. Yeah, so, it, so it, it's, it's authentically a small-town bank that grew over time by, by you know, good customer service and, and smart policies, and, and now it, it's come to, to Lubbock as well as other places. So that's a, that's a good example of that. Then. It is, and the, the bank was actually founded in Happy Texas in 1908. 
Um, so it's been around a while. The charter of the bank is still headquartered in Happy. We've never moved it and never will. And when you see correspondence, the return address is Main Street, Happy, Texas, because we think that's important. Even though now we're in Dallas, we just opened our second location in the Metroplex in Allen, Texas. We're now in Abilene, and you're going to see a lot more growth because we're now a $2.5 billion bank. So it is possible to get a much larger bank with a larger footprint that is still considers itself a community bank. And has stakes in the community. Absolutely. Uh It's critical. Your next song is He Walked on the Water, and Mm -hmm. I know that you're a religious uh, man. This particular song is another Alan Shamlin song. Alan is the author of that particular song, and it is a very touching song. Obviously, it's a story about Jesus Christ, and it's just one of my favorites. And and again, I told you earlier, you're asking me to choose 10 favorite songs. It's probably the most challenging thing I've done in a long, long time. But as I was looking through my library, and, and again, I go back to some of these guys, these songwriters. For me, it's not just the song. I mean, I love the song, but it's got to come from somewhere. And that's one of the reasons why some of the songs on this list come from people that I know or have a relationship with or am aware of um, that I, 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 that's, that's the story. And that, that's what makes a lot of this music so powerful. He wore starched white shirts, button at the neck, and he'd sit in the shade and watch the chickens peck. And his teeth were gone But what the heck I thought That he walked On water Said he was a cowboy When he was young He could handle a rope And he was good with a gun And my mama's daddy was his oldest son And I thought that he walked on water If the story was told Only heaven knows But his hat seemed to me Son, here's a pony Keep her at a trot And I'd ride in circles While he laughed a lot Then I'd flop down beside him And he was 90 years old In 63 And I loved him And he loved me And Lord, I song, uh, maybe appropriately, is Take It Easy <laughs> by the uh, 
by the Eagles. Now, now you've said to me, David, that you're a very emotional man. But well, I'm not sure I want my banker to be very emotional. But 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 <laughs> but but you have actually every time I've always met you, uh, maybe, maybe it's in different settings than than others. Uh, you've been a pretty calm, uh, uh, straight arrow guy. Uh, Take it easy is a song about well, there's a lot of crazy things going on in this world, but you have to. You have to keep a sense of calm about purpose, right? About doing your job and your family. Yeah. I, well, that's true. I just love the Eagles anyway. I mean, I could listen to the Eagles, and if if that's all I had in my radio in my car, and that's all I listened to, I'd be happy guy. Uh, obviously, I'd I listen to a lot of other things, but I just uh, and one of the best concerts I've ever seen was here in Lubbock when the Eagles were here at the end of, I believe, 2010. Uh, up until the Paul McCartney concert a couple of weeks ago, that was the best concert I'd ever been to. But um, I just love the Eagles, and this particular song just hits at the heart of their music for me. And uh, it is a very, it has a calming influence on me. Just take it easy, calm down. Do you play it at the bank? Is there music at the, at the bank? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, what do you? What, do you? Is it just? Uh, I mean, you buy it from a service, or do you? Do you? Do you, do you can you say, well, let's play Take It Easy today? No, <laughs> no. It's a, it's a, we buy a service, and and part of the reason why we have it, it's not very loud, but yeah. it, it it part of it is that when there's no customers in, everybody's got their head down. It's stone quiet in there, and so I like to have. A little background music, plus the fact when customers in discussing their business, and they're next to there's a table over there, someone else sitting there. There's enough music just to kind of uh, cover up that conversation, because that conversation with their banker needs to be private. And uh, so, anyway, that, that also benefits that. The sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. Lighten up while you still can. Don't even try to understand. Just find a place to make your stand. Take it easy. Well, I'm standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona. Such a fine sight to see. Next song I have heard before. It's uh, one of the great country and western songs about the great country and western singers. Mm -hmm. Who's going to fill their shoes? Mm -hmm. George Jones, one of the greatest singers of all time. And, of course, he passed away, what, a year ago or so? And, uh, again, uh, as I talked about the tribute to John Denver, uh, seeing, seeing on television uh, tributes to George Jones, I just... Uh, before he passed away were just wonderful. I just love his music. And he, I think he's probably one of the, the best, if not one of the best, if not the best country singers of all time. And uh, that particular song uh, is, to me, is just emotional. It's just about the passing of time. Uh, who's going to fill our shoes, David? I mean, think about that. I mean, it, in part of our our uh, to me, this hits at the heart of part of our responsibility as leaders in our industry is to train up others to come along behind us to perpetuate uh, the organization that we're a part of or value systems or what have you. So you could take that particular song and expand it in terms of, uh, of a lot of uh, a lot of ways. But someday someone's going to be filling my shoes, and I hope. And pray that 
if I could have some influence on someone that's going to be filling my shoes, they'll do a better job than I did. But it was because something that I did to help them. I mentored them. And um, anyway, I just love that song and love George Jones' music. You know, this old world is full of singers. But just a few are chosen to tear your heart out when they sing. Imagine life without them. All your radio heroes, like the outlaw that walks through Jesse's dream. No, there'll never be another red-headed stranger. A man in black and false prison blue The Okie from Muskogee Or hello darling Lord I wonder who's gonna fill their shoes Who's gonna fill their shoes Who's gonna stand that tall Who's gonna play the opera and the Wabash Cannonball? Who's gonna give their heart and soul to get to me and you? Lord, I wonder who's gonna fill their shoes. Your next song is We're Gonna Hold On. Mm-hmm. We're Gonna Hold On. Well, we are, and, and to a great extent, I think of that song and my lovely wife, Paula. Um, We've been married uh, for 48 years, and when you've been married to someone that long, and the ups and downs and the challenges, and I remember in our early married years when we had our first son, we were married in 66, and our oldest son, Hunter, was born in 68, and we were uh, had an opportunity uh, to manage some apartments. I got a job, and Paula was managing uh, basically the manager of these apartments because that way we got free rent. But even at that, when uh, going to the grocery store, or, or Paula going to the grocery store and telling me that based on our budget, you know, the last two days of the month, all we we're going to have is beans. <laughs> so, because that's all we could afford. So the challenges of 48 years of marriage, uh, it's been an incredible relationship that she and I have had. And uh, I couldn't have asked for a better wife. She's a great mother, a mentor. She has been very trusting, and, and uh, she's taken care of the home life and allowed me to pursue my professional career, and it, which has taken a lot of long hours, a lot of travel, um, and over the years, and but she's always been there for me, and so that song kind of reminds me of our marriage. You got to hold on. We're gonna hold. Time will tell if you're right or wrong. 
song is Baby Blue. A little change of pace, baby? Or? Yeah. yeah. Well, again, this song, of course, was a number one hit from George Strait. And I, this one's the one that I'm going to get back to the songwriter. There's a friend of mine. His name's Aaron Barker. And Aaron lives in Nashville, and he's written, I don't know, 15 number one hits, several of them, George Strait. But his first song was Baby Blue. And he lo- he was he was in a band. He was living in San Antonio, and he was in a rock band. And he didn't have enough money to live on his own, so he was living with his parents. And he, he thought he'd get into songwriting. And he had wrote several songs, and he'd sent them to Nashville and so on, so on, and so forth. Well, he writes this particular song, and he's notified that... Uh, by an agent in uh, Nashville that the song was going to be recorded by George Strait. Well, that particular song was Baby Blue. And uh, to continue the story, uh, Aaron likes to tell the story about, remember, he was still living at home with his parents. His his first uh, royalty check comes in in the mail. It goes to the mailbox, gets this check. And his dad was sitting in the living room, and he takes it in and shows this check to his dad. He said, Dad, look at this. And his dad said, Son, I get those in the mail all the time from those publishing companies. They don't, It doesn't really mean anything. It's not anything. <laughs> he said, You're not going to win that. <laughs> and, and, uh, but Aaron has done very, very well. He's a great guy. We've had him here in, in Lubbock, as we have Alan Shamblin. Uh, on several occasions, Alan uh, and, and Aaron are good friends, and and it's great. We've had we've put a songwriter event here together about 12, 13 years ago. It's held at the Cactus every year for the Covenant Children's Hospital, and um, we call it Storytellers. Interestingly enough, uh, one year I got a call. Danny King, who passed away, my friend in Austin, that coordinated all these songwriter events. We had a very good relationship with a lot of these songwriters. Called me one day, and he was, this had probably been eight years ago, and he said, David, I just, this middle of the week, and it was the week of our event, and Danny said, David, I'm going to be driving up on Friday, and I just want you to know Coach Darrell Royal is going to be coming with me. I said, you're kidding me. He said, no. And I forget the songwriter's name, but he they were good friends. And it was a great event, and we added the cactus. And the neat thing is nobody knew, only about a handful of us knew that Coach Royal was there. And everybody was milling around and being seated, and Danny brings Coach Royal down, has him sit on the front row, and Danny would always do the announcements and so forth. So Danny gets up, everybody gets quiet and so forth, and Danny starts to do the introductions of the songwriters. But before he did, he just said, folks, I want you to know here in Lubbock, Texas tonight at the Cactus Theater, we have a special guest, Coach Darrell Royal. Would you stand? He stood. It was a standing ovation for him. I mean, we're in Lubbock at Texas Tech, mm-hmm. and there was that much respect for Coach Royal. And I'm sorry to get off on that. It was just no, a neat. But but anyway, Aaron Barker, Alan Shamblin, a lot of those guys, uh, they're just great folks. But this event has raised well over a million dollars over the years for the Covenant Children's Hospital. And it's uh, one of the most popular events of the year. And these, what we'll have, we'll have three different songwriters every year. They'll come up on stage. We've got a guitar. And for three hours, they'll take turns, and they'll talk about their lives or talk about something going on and so and so just recorded this song and it's gone to number one let me sing a little bit for yeah. you and it's just phenomenal to get to that point where you've got not the artist but the people who came up with the song she looks so much like a lady but she was so much like a child the devil when she held me close an angel when she smiled she always held it inside but somehow I always knew she'd go away when the grass turned green and the sky turned baby blue baby blue 
song is changes in latitudes changes in attitudes now as a banker you have to talk to all sorts of people Mm -hmm. (laughs) ceos working men Mm -hmm. uh you have to assess character one of the things we try very hard with our students is for them to understand that the technology is a tool it's not meant to be a limitation it's meant to be something you use but that you, your per- personal relationship with somebody is still paramount. And, and you know, we certainly have our alumni say, you know, please don't give up on trying to train these students. A lot of our students are wonderful in technology, but the technology, especially the mobile, mobile phone and everything, has sort of taken away, I think, from the learning of how to have a personal relationship where you, you read the room where you read another person. You see how somebody's reacting to something you're saying, may not be saying it aloud, how do you train people in the banking business to, to, to judge people and their character and their... That's a, that's a very good question. Um, well, first of all, I think from a leadership perspective, leaders, leadership is very, very challenging in and of itself. Because as I've shared with people, once you're in a leadership role... Uh, you have to get over the twos. Well, what does that mean? Well, when you're two years old, it's all about you. You feed me, you know, change my diaper, whatever. And a lot of people, when they grow up, they never get over that. It's all about them. When you're in a leadership role, it's not about you anymore. It's not about me anymore. It's about others. Every day I wake up and every day that I go into that environment where I've got young people and older people that are working for me, I'm there to create a positive environment for them. But I'm also there to mentor them, to make sure that we have laid out expectations for them and that we are holding people accountable. But it's not about me anymore. It's about them. And it, it, for lack of a better term, it's, uh, it's been referred to as the servant leadership model, if you will. And, and, and I, I personally love that model. I heard it 
about it the first time probably 20 years ago, and I've done a lot of reading about it. And, and there's been some great books uh, about the servant leadership model. But I think it, it starts with that and, and trying to get folks to understand and to get out of themselves, get away. Get It's not about me anymore. It's about others. And, and the real value that I have in life or the real uh, um, value, the real rewards that I have are seeing people that I've mentored do well, do better than I have. And for people to fulfill their dreams. And part of that is to, to sit down with people. When, particularly when you, when, when you see uh, an area where they're, they're missing it. Maybe, again, they, they don't have that uh, skill set to, to be able to recognize people and to talk to people and to recognize different uh, – and be respectful of different people with different backgrounds and experiences. That, that is a learned concept. And, and it's something that has to, in my opinion, comes from mentors. In our, in our work, in our environment, we have a set of values um, that we talk about consistently. We had a staff meeting yesterday and talked about everybody, reminded everybody, go read through our value statements. But we are also being held accountable for those values. And that, that accountability goes even to the extent that we have, if, if we have a top performer, for example, someone who does very well, but they are in violation from a technical point of view, but they are not fulfilling the obligations that we have under our core values. We've got to deal with that. That's that accountability piece. It, it is a learned concept. It's not something that's, and, and it's, some people are going to be better at it than others, but there's nothing wrong with sitting down with someone where you have observed uh, a, a person who is not showing respect for others, because the core of all this is respect for others and integrity. But that respect thing, that respect goes across all socioeconomic levels. It goes in an organization. It goes from the top down and the and the and down up. That respect has to be is at the core of everything that you do. And if we have someone who just can't get it, who never will come around to understanding what re, what it means to respect others and is not the core of their value system, they're probably not going to be around our place very long. That's just the way it is. And uh, I so think you, a lot what of the you're students— saying, And really this resonates mm-hmm. with, with educational leadership is that you have to remember the difference between the central mission and the methods that you achieve that mission. And they have to be in sync with each other. Because, I mean, in, in our institution, we want to educate ch- children, we want to educate people for the future, mm-hmm. for their future, but also, and this is a crucial part of a university, for the, the future of the country. Mm-hmm. To, I mean, we, we, we try to do our best to vocationally educate, to, to teach people to be professionals and to be successful in their careers. But the mission of a university is also to train people to be great citizens, to mm-hmm. be you know, productive members of the polis, not just uh, of, of the, the commercial marketplace. And um, our methods must match our mission. You know, mm-hmm. They must be in sync. We can't do anything that we wouldn't want them to do mm-hmm. in in their world. And and uh, I, I do feel we've gotten away from that as a society where there's so many people out there, whether it's in business or, or elsewhere, that the, the goal is everything and anything they can get away with, you know, or, or to do it, they, they find fine. So I, I very much appreciate what you've been saying about community banking, about people who are held accountable. Because part of being a community is you're held accountable by that community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you misbehave in the community, then all your neighbors know about it, as opposed to being some far-off you know, corporation that's coming out of you know, France or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, that that's a value we have to try to ret- retain. Part of those, that value system, I think, is... is in my opinion, is is been undermined to a great extent by the political environment that we're in and the media's f- the way it follows the political environment. I mean, you can't turn on a television or radio without hearing some news report about 
politician this, politician that, and then you get into these competitive races and so forth. The biggest problem, I have no issue with people who have differences of opinion about any policy. But when you, when you, enter, when, when you start getting into an environment where people aren't being respected or in a political race we get away from integrity and people will out and out lie and everybody knows they're lying, or most people do, or some people do, whatever. That in and of itself is is a core problem. I don't, and I don't think that's going away, unfortunately. Uh, particularly with the, the kind of money that is now flowing into uh, the, the these political races, and it's just it's it's very troubling to me. It's troubling to me that, and I shared this with someone the other day. For example, just our area, and I'm sorry to get off on the politics, but I think that's at the core of our, our problems in terms of our young people and others is what they see and hear on television. And the political uh, uh, class, and as it's risen, and it's risen with a lack of integrity and honesty and, 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 and respect for others. And that is very troubling to me. And I share, again, shared the other day, one of the best statesmen that we've ever had from our part of the world was a man by the name of George Mahon. George Mahon, the federal building is named after him. One of the a state, true statesmen, a true gentleman. I shared with somebody the other day, I don't think George Mahon could get elected today. No. I've heard that about many, many famous statesmen from yeah. American history. Well, David, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Uh, you've uh, given us uh, some, some important insights into a world that's all around us that we deal with every day, but we probably don't know enough about uh, the, the inner workings, and, and you've certainly given us a lot to think about as well as, well as a lot to listen to. <laughs> so thank you very much, David, and uh, I will continue to see you when I come in to make my deposits. Appreciate it very much. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. There's just too much to see.